Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 6. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. The word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, good morning. My name is Confessor Martinez. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the Painted Door. Um, the other three pastors are all gone. I think two are just kind of enjoying the long weekend. Uh, Pastor Mark, however, is uh, uh, doing a little bit more studying, catching up on some, uh, on some stuff. Uh, so we didn't know till like last minute that I was going to be the only, only pastor here. Uh, but we're in good hands. We've got uh, faithful people that serve the church regularly and can run this ship with or without um, a pastor. So thanks, guys, for uh, taking care of everything. Um, we're actually concluding our Dividing Wall series. Uh, so this will be the last message on Dividing Wall. So originally I was going to take it down the road of, again, just talking about uh, race, uh, race division or ra- uh, racial reconciliation. I think I will to some extent, but I kind of want to pull everything into um, this message. So, um, so if you could bear with me, that'd be great. Uh, let me start off by reading here in uh, <clears throat> Luke six, uh, uh, chapter uh, chapter six, verse twenty-seven to thirty-nine again. Um, but I say to you, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak or withholds, uh, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs you, begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish, that, as you wish others to do to you, so do to them. Um, I don't know about you guys, but... As that text reads down, it just gets harder and harder and harder to want to do any of those things. And so in some senses, you know, we can like wrap our mind around loving your enemies because maybe our concept of who are enemies sometimes has gotten a little bit soft in that we tend to see our enemies the way we read the scripture says, love your neighbor. And who's your neighbor? Everyone. So our enemy kind of becomes a little bit obscure at that point. Um, so then maybe we need to look at who's your enemy. And if you just spend time thinking about it, 
I mean, some of us, for some of us in here, our enemies actually might be in this very room. So our enemy is not always someone who's off in a distance that we're trying to reach that opposes us. Sometimes our enemy is our spouse, the person sitting right next to us, a good friend, a brother or sister in Christ, our children. And why do I say that? Because our enemy is, is the very person that in our own hearts, bitterness and anger and division starts to crop up as we receive that person. There's never going to be a shortage of enemies in our lives. And even if we ask Christ, you know, say, well, God, you know, Christ, it is so hard to love our enemies in that case. And I think to which he would respond, amen. I know that all too well. But they're not my enemies. They make me an enemy, but I don't make them an enemy. It is impossible for us to love our enemies if we do not have the love of Christ in us. Is it possible, however, to not love our enemies even if we have the love of Christ in us? Yeah. I mean, I don't have to dig deep into anybody's lives in here to know that. I mean, I could just look at my own heart, and I am constantly making enemies. I am constantly coming against my brothers or my sisters for whatever reason. It's impossible, however, to love your enemies if you do not have the love of Christ in us. In Romans 1, verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the very power of God's salvation to everyone who believes. Now we see Paul. Paul can't be ashamed of the gospel because he knows exactly how the gospel has completely and utterly transformed his life. Christ came and interrupted Paul's trajectory in life. And he stepped in. And instead of now Paul moving up and to the right after getting saved, his life actually started moving on a downward spiral, at least humanly speaking, fleshly speaking. We recognize that in Paul's life is less, his physical life has le- is less than stellar. It's not something that any of us would sign up for. And yet here in Roman, he sa- Romans, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And so two things happen at the point of salvation, as the, as the salvation is the power of God. One thing happens immediately, and then a second thing happens over time. In fact, over a lifetime. And um, if you're like me, probably three lifetimes to actually get it. The first one is that we are immediately and permanently engrafted into the family of God. We become his people. We are moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. In fact, in Ezekiel 36, it says that our hearts of stone have been removed and have been replaced with a heart of flesh. And in my opinion, it's the very heart of God, where at one point it was hard for us to feel, to love, and to receive. Now all that joy, all that love, all that ability to receive is now given given to us through the power of Christ. 
I mean, you start having emotions that you never thought were possible. You know, I remember I spent most of my years just not being able to cry because I had just become so hard and so cold, and then all of a sudden I'm like leaking, you know, and thinking that the power, that the gospel has made me soft. And somehow, maybe, perhaps you as well think that if you don't stand up to your enemy, that somehow the gospel is making you soft. That is not the case. Because with Christ, you are stronger than you could ever imagine through the power of Christ. The second thing that happens in Romans 12, 2, we see that Paul tells us to not be conformed to the, to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind or the renewal of our mind. And this part right here is the part that takes time. There are no shortcuts here because you can probably say that the mind actually has a mind of its own. Is that we respond to things just automatically. Like even now, I mean, we're doing things or thinking things and we're not even trying to think those things. They just happen automatically. Like for me, when someone opposes me, I automatically just begin to shift back into the person I was before I encountered Christ. And I know that you are also. That when we, when our enemy comes against us, or whoever comes against us, our first response is not to receive them in love. Now you might respond a little bit differently than I would, uh, maybe a, a little less, a little less violently, but our mind just takes us back to a place of self-defense, self-survival, or whatever it needs to do just to protect to protect ourselves, to protect ourselves. So what's the way out of this? As we talked earlier, the only way out of this, the only way to love your enemies is to remember the love that God has for you, to remember the joy of your salvation. Do you remember the moment in which Christ first encountered you? Do you remember the time when you experienced the full weight of his love, the full weight of his acceptance, when joy began to pour into your hearts. Now, maybe you're here and you grew up in the Christian family and, and perhaps that looked a little bit differently, but as you get older, do you remember the time where now your faith started transferring from your parents' faith into your own faith and then now God's love or, or, or the Christian faith started becoming your own and you started walking on your own and you were no longer feeding on the breast of your parents' faith and now you're starting to eat meat and starting to grow. Do you remember that? Do you remember what it was like to not know the love of Christ in your life? Do you remember what that, what that was like? I do. I was 17 years old when uh, I encountered Christ. Uh, me and a group of friends were actually headed down a really dark path. Um, I was still in the gang, um, but my friends and I were looking 
for something external, something, that, something else that would give us more purpose, uh, anything other than the gospel. Because to us, the gospel represented this, well, I'm, we used to have, like in my neighborhood, we used to have this, this church that would come around in this big yellow bus and would pick everyone up on Sunday morning and take them off to like Indiana, an hour, two-hour drive. And for us, um, the gospel represented that. Not only was this something new, but it was a completely different culture. And because people are broken, the people sometimes that drove that bus were not always uh, the friendliest people. Um, some were, some were not. Um, but for us, we would say, man, I, I, I'll, never, I'll never go to church. I'll never become a Christian because I don't want to be like that person. They're going to tell us to cut our hair, change our clothes, learn how to talk better, learn how to talk right. And so we were always opposed to this notion of Christianity. So instead, we went through the other alternative is we started exploring more uh, areas that were more dark, Satanism, witchcraft, um, and we would buy and try to get our hands on anything that we could possibly get um, that would lead us down that road. We owned a, a satanic Bible. We did little incantations in the basement. We prayed to Satan. And let me tell you, when, you, when your heart is set on going dark, at least that dark, it happens immediately. And for all of us, we felt this pull into, you know, the dark side. One of our friends was a closeted, backslidden Christian, and uh, he just hung out with us because we were drinking and smoking and doing whatever, and this kind of gave him license to be able to live that way. Um, And it was around the New Year's that we were in one of my buddies' house, and we were trying to think of what other books to buy, what other things to get uh, to further our, our knowledge on, on Satan and evil things. And for some unknown reason, he said, oh, you know, if you want to hear a story, if you want to learn about the devil, if you want to learn about uh, the satanic forces, I've got a great book for you guys. And we're like, oh, you know, what is it? And so he, uh, my friend's uh, brother was in the... Uh, in the Marines, so he had a military-issued Bible. And so he pulls it out, and he turns to the book of Revelations. And so we start reading through the book of Revelations, um, reading through all the stories of the power of God and his dominion over, over Satan. And just all these fancy, wonderful, just captured us. And something happened while reading the book of Revelation. I can't rightly explain it other than I know for a fact that Christ encountered me at that moment, and I was saved somehow through the book of Revelation. I couldn't define what salvation was, so I did what any good, brand-new Christian would do, is I stole that military Bible, (laughs) and I took it with me. I took it home, and as I walked home, I just started reading through the books of the Bible. And then at home, incessantly, because I had already dropped out of school, so I was reading through the Bible every single day for hours at a time, just trying to feed myself with all this stuff. I had no idea what any of it meant, but I felt this pull into this life. Um, I still refuse to go to church. 
Uh, maybe it took me about two or three months to finally go to church um, to become part of a, a congregation. And the pastor, knowing that I was a new person, um, gave his, uh, his uh, call to salvation. And I just kind of sat there with my arms folded. And my friend, both my friends that were there were both bodybuilders. So one of them grabbed my arm and he pulled it all the way up. And so the pastor took that as his cue that I wanted to be saved. So I went up there, prayed a prayer of confession, got saved, jumped off the stage like, uh, like the ass that I am, and made a joke about it. Um, but I knew, yeah, can you bleep that out? Sorry. <laughs> um, but I knew prior to that that Christ had saved me, that Christ entered into my life. That is the only way that we could receive our enemies. When we're faced with those moments of hesitation, when we're faced with those moments of fear, they never go away. That's why the renewing of your mind takes a lifetime because our mind wants to go back. And so when we are, when we are opposed by our enemy and when we want to withdraw back, what we need to do is remind ourselves of those moments, of those stories when Christ encounter us, encountered us. That's the only way that we can rightly love our enemies. So when your enemy rejects you, you press into love. You press into the love that you know that God has for you. When your enemy curses you, you press into prayer. Because there's really not much that we can do except to offer them back up to Christ. But why do we do this? Why are we called to love our enemies? Because this is the good news. Because this is the only way that they'll be able to receive salvation. This is the only way that they'll get to see the power of God's love that leads them into salvation. How else can they possibly be delivered if they are not loved? I mean, we throw that word around so carelessly right now. But imagine or remember what it was like when you felt the weight of not being loved by anyone. Remember the weight of how it felt like to feel isolated and alone. Remember how it felt, remember how it felt to feel like you were always on the outside and never on the inside. Remember how you always felt like an outcast. Remember how it felt when you didn't receive the love from your mothers or your fathers. And let me tell you, it's in those incredibly vulnerable moments that the enemy steps in and begins to draw your heart away and continues to isolate an individual. And the only way to break that is for the church, for the people, the individual, to press in to people with, God, with God's love. 
That's why I love when uh, Jamie Oaks was up here a few weeks ago and she was sharing her experience with um, serving at GRIP. And she had made the statement that all she can really do is just to kind of stand there and awkwardly love children who are just so opposed to everything that she stands for. And that's really the call to the church as we press into the people who have set us up to be their enemies is to stand there with them, awkwardly pressing into them with love, revealing that our hands are empty and the only thing that of real substance, the only real thing of everlasting value that we can offer anyone is the love of God. And then we flesh that out by being there with them and participating with them in their lives. And whatever that means, I mean, we can't define that for anyone here. It might be to be a financial support to someone. I don't know. It might be to give someone an apartment to live in. I don't know. It might be give someone a ride. It might be to provide food. It might be to listen to them. I don't know. Those are the things that we all individually have to wrestle with. As you think through the people that have set themselves up to be your enemies, how can you show them the love of Christ? How can you lean into that for them? But you cannot do it if you don't have the love of Christ in you. You cannot give what you do not have. So, what in the world does this have to do with the dividing walls? I think everything. As we kind of went through this series, it just revealed several things to us individually and corporately as a church is that we know that there are going to be fundamental disagreements on the things that we believe in theologically or even how we practice or flesh out our faith with one another. It doesn't matter if the difference is parenting or our ideas of gender role or media consumption or racial, racial reconciliation. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. So all those things, all those differences are always going to be present in a body. So our responsibility is, as, as those differences and those opinions come up, is that we, instead of pulling away from each other, which is sometimes my first automatic response, I have to confess that, is that my heart is filled with fear oftentimes when someone opposes me, that it pushes me back away from them. What's the example that Christ set for us? What do we remember? What do we see? What we see as he was suspended on the cross, as his enemies, as the people who set themselves up to be his enemies, were killing him, as his life was slowly 
dripping away. He calls out to the Father and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. We don't have that strength or that power on our own. We have to slowly allow our minds to be renewed to that reality. And it happens, that renewal, by understanding what the Word of God is, by spending time in the Word, by being part of community. But there's another way that it happens that we just don't like. It happens by when you reach out to your enemy in love and they spit in your face. When we reach out and try to love our enemies, they kick us. Or worse, for some of our brothers and sisters around the world, they literally take their lives. Does that mean that we run to our safe places as the children of the cross? No. Because this life that we live, we do not live it for ourselves. We have to live it for others. But does that mean that we don't care for ourselves? No. Because if, if we're going to follow that through, if we're going to love our enemies, we have to recognize, too, that we are our own greatest enemies. So there is that. Yeah, we need to care for ourselves. We need to love ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves. There is that reality. We need to get the right amount of sleep. We have to have the right amount of food. We have to, you know, uh, be... Um, productive or, you know, however, whatever. So we also include ourselves in that. There is a sense that, yeah, we can't love other people if we just simply hate ourselves. But this isn't a message about self-care, but that is one of our dividing walls. So I'm all for, I'm all for that self-care, but I also want to say that we just cannot simply love ourselves too much that we forget what it's like to love those who call us enemies. And so what does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for us as individuals? Well, as a church corporately, we want to start venturing over to the other side of the tracks. And we've talked about that. We had a garage sale here. Um, and it's kind of is a tangible way for us to get used to, you know, venturing outside and just kind of testing the waters with that. But I know Pastor Jamie from Garfield Park. Uh, he's my brother-in-law. I know him intimately and personally. And he would say, hey, if you guys are going to venture to this side of the track, I want my people to be able to venture to that side of the track as well. It's not just one side giving to the other. But it's us allowing them to pour into other, other people to pour into our lives. You know, I uh, just recently became a pastor here not, not that long ago. I, I already forgot when it was, but it's just been months. Um, I'm sure Kim remembers the time and the date and the second and what I was wearing. Um, but I remember standing up here 
and, feel, and feeling so eager and so privileged to want to serve every single person in this room somehow to be known uh, as one of the pastors here. Not out of vain or selfishness or any of that, but just to, my heart is to somehow come alongside you and to help you live life or show you the way to the cross or show you to the Savior. But it wasn't really too long after that that God had other plans for me and my family. And it's been hard for us. And it's like, and it's like instead of putting yourself in a position to serve other people right now, just take a step back and let other people serve you. Let other people love you. Let other people care for your wife and for your kids. And that's what I mean like with allowing other people that aren't part of our culture, that aren't part of how we do things or see things or experience things, allowing them to come in, allowing other people to come in and walk alongside you for the service of the gospel. There's so much to learn. We are, in fact, the children of the cross. We are the reward of Christ's suffering. The power of the resurrection is in us if you know Christ as your Savior. He loves you without condition. He's so filled with grace for you that it defies logic. It makes no sense the way the Father receives us because as we peer into our own hearts, as our mind tells us, and so often we're so opposed to those things. And yet he loves you. And yet he presses into your lives. And he's not abandoned us. We are not alone. We are, in fact, free people set free from the weight of sin, right? We're no longer slaves to that. We're slaves to a new master. But just because we're free people doesn't mean that Christ threw open the gates and now we can just go run buck wild and do whatever we want and take advantage of this freedom. No, remember, we're still yoked. We have a new master. And he says in the gospel that he is kind. And if you come to him, his yoke is light. And he so desperately wants to teach us. And teach us that when life gets hard, when things get, get so broken, that when our enemies begin to oppose us or whatever's going on, that we can always run to the Father because that's exactly what he did. He did it when he was hanging on the cross. That the only way out it's the journey back to the Father. And Christ knew that. And he laid his, laid his life out for us. And he set that example for us. So we are people who are filled with hope. We have the hope of eternal life. 
We are people who are filled with joy. We are people who have an inheritance from the kingdom that will never run out. So go spend that capital. It will never end. There is enough resource in the kingdom for you. Your inheritance will never run out. So we're free to love. We're free to engage. We're free to connect with people who we just don't like most of the time. Why? Because we have a new master. And he is kind. And he is loving. And he is slowly renewing our minds so that we can do the same. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for the unconditional love that you have for us. We're so thankful that we were purchased through the blood of Christ. We thank you that we are your people now, Lord, and that we're not left alone, we're not abandoned. Father, we all readily admit and we all readily confess that fear so often motivates us more than joy and love. Father, we confess that it is hard to love our enemies. It's so much easier to dismiss them and pretend that they don't even exist. Father, may it never be so anymore. May you fill our hearts with the love of Christ for those that are opposed to you. May you fill our hearts, Lord, with love for those who have yet to know the joy of your salvation. Father, don't fill us with courage, but fill us with your your courage. Father, don't strengthen us. Keep us weak, but fill us with your strength. Teach us to love. Teach us to be loved. In your name I pray. Amen.